and welcome to our best of 2014 Scots Way podcast. It's also podcast number 50 for us and uh, I'm joined uh, appropriately by Chris Ward. Hello. And Ian is here as well, as always. Hello. And because we three started this three years ago in the summer. First episode. Exactly. So I think it's quite nice that it's uh, the three of us here for number 50. Um... So how this is going to work is, um, unfortunately, we wanted, we would hope to be joined by um, Scots with his doctor books, as we like to call him, Ronnie Young, um, but he can't make it, he sends his apologies, and uh, he has also sent his yearly Falkirk missive. We're going to start off with that, and then just kind of see where that takes us, and by the end we'll probably be scrapping on the floor. Um, so I've just, of course, have to find where the heck I've put that missive, um, and here we go. Straight out of Falkirk, as I like to call it. Hello to all you good people in Scotsway Hayland. Sorry I can't be with you to celebrate the end of another year. What's that? Queen's speech. Forever dying. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But I thought, in more ways than one, <laughs> but I thought I'd send along some brief reflections on whatever the flip just happened in 2014. I call it Mr. Ron's festive hamper of things that happened in 2014. <laughs> okay. and so Mr. Ron, good on you. In that spirit, I'll begin with something that happened in 1814. In 1814, Sir Walter Scott published his first novel, Waverley. I mention that because... He just finished reading it? <laughs> because it took him 200 years to read it. But, no, low blow, Chris, yeah, low I blow. <laughs> I mention this because 2014 was, of course, the 200th anniversary of its publication. No flies on Ronnie's arithmetic there. Yeah. And because you've read it and might therefore be able to say something about it, the historical novel and indeed the place of Scotland within Britain. I think he's asking too much of us there. A little. <laughs> in this podcast, but I like his uh, ambition. Uh, it was 200 years of Waverley. You have read uh, Waverley, have you? I have, yes. Yeah, forced to read it? Forced to, yeah. That was one of the opening songs. I always remember. Uh, a Scottish literature degree. Yeah. I always remember being told by one of our uh, lecturers that um, it was like taking a long hot bath. Uh, bathing in, in, in Waverley and I thought that was really strange I remember being told by I, think I did a feel wrinkly once I finished it <laughs> yeah. being told by I think a tutor rather than a lecturer uh, to skip the first six chapters <laughs> that was that wow. was their tip for, for getting into Waverley is just, just skip the first six chapters nothing happens I could say no I'm not going to say what I could say <laughs> but uh, I don't I, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a Scott fan I have to say um, we've spoken about this previously um, I get. I got more into Scott the more I read of Scott. Like I like Waverly. It was kind of like okay. I, I appreciate it for what it is. But yeah, no. As I went it's on a through, novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then no, it was one of those things you know. As you go through you know, every year, it's like a, you know, one more of them. So we had the old mortality and uh, heart middle vein as well. Heart middle vein. I loved. Like yeah. by the time I I built up enough of a. Um, resistance a resistance yeah <laughs> like I was I was trying to grope around for a better euphemism there for it but no if we're just going to say it then yeah a bit of resistance to, to Scott yeah no but Heart of Midlothian is, is, I, I absolutely love yeah. I agree um, and I think it would have been interesting if Scott was about today to see what he would have made of uh, um, political events this year considering he always said wasn't his heart was in Scotland but his head was kind of in Britain or Northern Britain or whatever Britain <laughs> that he wanted to talk about Back to, uh, Back to Mr. Ronnie. Ron's yeah. Christmas hamper. Speaking of Scotland and Britain, I'm fairly certain something else of major significance happened in 2014, but I'll be damned if I can remember what it was. Besides a lingering feeling of exhilaration, I experienced flashbacks to the now inexplicable events of September. 
events such as a bizarre love letter to Scotland from 200 assorted celebrities which contained the weighty reflections of a think tank composed in part of constitutional expert Mick Jagger, political analyst Jun Sarpong, Alan Titchmarsh, Kirsty Alsop and Sting. Uh, oh, Jun Sarpong. <laughs> uh, around about the same time, National Collective brought a fresh and creative voice to Scottish and even British cultural and political life for which they've just made the list's top 10 cultural moments in 2014. He scrolls down in anticipation. Anyway, whatever took place back in September all seemed more, a lot more captivating than the Commonwealth Games, Glasgow 2014. The entirety of which I definitely managed to miss. <laughs> yeah, that makes two of us. <laughs> okay, it kind of makes two of us, but never mind. <laughs> uh, it was been really busy in the pubs. Shame really, because I also missed the opening ceremony, a controversial celebration of Keech Scottishness, or Kitch, Kitch Scottishness, bedecked in extremely tasteful tasteful kilted uniforms. And Ronnie has sent us a lovely picture, which we'll use, I think, of the, the, what colour would you say that was? I would say that's a, yeah, aqua. Cyan? um, I would say uh, seaweed blue. Seaweed blue, lovely. Well, I'm sure you all know what he's talking about. Odd happenings in Glasgow continued in the medium of film with Under the Skin, starring Scarlett Johansson, and adapted from the novel by Michael Faber. To me, Jonathan Glazer's portrayal of the predatory main character stalking around Scotland seemed like too many set pieces that never quite came together as a complete narrative. Hold yourself. (laughs) (laughs) That said, the film did succeed in taking something as familiar as everyday life in Glasgow and making it appear eerily unfamiliar, a kind of vernacular representation of Freud's definition, definition even, of the uncanny. I think the vodka had kicked in by this point. <laughs> Film leads me to the siren call of Scottish music. It had definitely kicked in by this point. Like a horny Glaswegian stumbling into a dark pool of sexy alien love goo. <laughs> and all across the city tonight, there'll be people doing exactly that. Much that, yeah. Uh, anyway, much could be mentioned here, including a Mercury Music Prize winner from Edinburgh's Young Fathers, but two crossovers between music and film perhaps deserve attention. Firstly, King Creosote's soundtrack to the film From Scotland With Love. Secondly, the musical God Help The Girl, the directorial debut of Bell and Sebastian's King of Twee, Stuart Murdoch. And on that whimsical note, I'll leave you gentlemen and you listeners to chew on the rest of the leftovers of the year that was. Until 2015, wishing you all the very best. The Reverend Ronnie Young. He's some man. He's some man. It's fantastic. But that's good because I think it leads us into a discussion of certainly the two films that he mentions. Yes. So let's start with Under the Skin. Okay. Chris? Your thoughts? Um, yeah, I, I was really blown away by Under the Skin. Uh, I think it was great. I think it's um, both of them actually, both Under the Skin and God Help the Girl, uh, I think, were kind of in their way uh, landmarks for Scottish film, I think, because they're two examples of things that I think I'd like to see more of from Scottish cinema, even though they're not strictly speaking. I mean, I know Under the Skin is, is like filmed in Glasgow and everything, but it's not strictly speaking, a, you know, a wholly Scottish creative team, you know, uh, Jonathan Glazer's English, Scarlett Johansson's American, it's kind of an international production, but I think it really shows off the cinematic potential of Glasgow and Scotland uh, in a way that's palatable to an international audience, but doesn't water anything down, you know, I think one of my favourite line deliveries of the year is Scarlett Johansson driving her van through the hordes of Celtic supporters and hearing one of them off 
camera shout fuck you you prick <laughs> um, which was great uh, you know just guys that caught on hidden camera going you know, you know um, giving directions to the M8 you know well, do you know where the big Tesco is you know that kind of thing and you know I thought that was great to see that put on film and not you know be deemed too alienating no pun intended for the uh, for, for an international audience and it's also something that's completely new and taking a chance you know just formally and, and visually and um, you know thematically a lot of the stuff that it did was you know, it, it wasn't like, well, this is good for a Scottish film. It's like, this is a good film. This is turning up on people all over the world's, you know, best of list, which is a massive thing for a Scottish film, I think. And with God Help the Girl, it's it's a musical. It's an original musical, which is a big enough thing for, for 2014, but for an original musical to be, you know, set in Glasgow, I thought was a, was a big deal as well. And it was a, a way of kind of getting away from the stereotypes of Glasgow on film, which has, for better or worse, kind of stagnated into like social realism you know your Ken Loaches your Peter Mullins I think in a lot of ways um, and it was a, a, both of them were ways of looking at the city that I think uh, you know opened it up to to like you know like the famous passage from Lanark about nobody ever imagines living here because it, nobody mm-hmm. imagines it in art I think these were two really good examples of the city being reimagined in art in ways that it hadn't really been seen before on screen I I I agree with you about Under the Skin of it in terms of a masterpiece I think it was um, and one of those odd films where you come away and you look at the world outside slightly different than you did when you went in and you look at the people slightly differently from when you went in and that stays with you for some time um, I'll talk about God Help the Girl later because I don't think I'm as quite as big a fan of it as you are uh, um, but it was astonishing to see a, a recognisable Glasgow, and as one that has been portrayed elsewhere, um, kind of manipulated in this way to be a kind of alien landscape. Yeah. Um, and actually, she's the alien in it, but it's she's the identifiable figure, or at least becomes the identifiable figure, and it's all the other folk that she meets that become strange to us. Is that, you think that's... Yeah, I, I absolutely do think that's great. And there's so much going on with it as well. I mean, not just... I mean, obviously, I think I saw a few reviews that... that um, noted that like you know just talking about like the way she dressed and things like this like the fashion choices almost kind of made her look like um well like she she came from eastern europe or something you know she was part of a wave of eastern european immigrants so you could comment on it as that you know as being like you know alien in that sense you know well, her like accent, was, her very accent posh, was english yeah it was it? very posh english there was um all the kinds of, you know obviously there's there's several kind of feminist angles you could take when when discussing it as well about you know a, a female alien literally devouring men mm-hmm. and, and kind of taking a, a righteous blow at the patriarchy if you want to put it that way um, but, uh, however, but still kind of being looked after by these shady motorcycle yeah who she does try to escape though and yes, try, to, she does. try to break free of when she uh, begins to take on uh, recognisably human traits yeah. you know uh, which coincides with the the encounter with um the uh the the guy with the kind of genetic yep. disorder that leaves his face uh, I can't remember the name of the disorder now mm-hmm. but uh, it leaves his face kind of misshapen and that uh you know she she he's the first that she spares and is is that's kind of the there's a moment where she sees herself in the mirror that is just pivotal yeah. beautiful and absolutely that's where there's something that she recognises of herself in in others and it's actually I don't know if you've read the book but um, they're, they're, it, that's in like similar things in the book but it's very very different to the book and I think yeah. that's down to Jonathan Glazer's weird I mean it's beyond weird vision I mean, the, the scenes that Ronnie referred to with the alien love yeah, yeah. shouldn't really work yeah 
<laughs> but they really do. They really do. And like they are really like a black sense of humour through it as well. I it mean, is, they, absolutely. They, they seem they're they're really they're well, there's three scenes with that that goo. There's the the first one that lets you see kind of how it functions with um, the first guy that she picks up who uh, I think confused a lot of people not from Glasgow with the fact that he is uh, a hip supporter. He has a hip strip on. A lot of people were like, so is it Glasgow or Edinburgh? You know, oh, okay. I, 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 from people uh, who, who aren't familiar with the city. Um, I think sometimes we obsess over these things a bit too much in general. But yeah. anyway, the, sec- the second one is uh, Paul Brannigan, who's in the Angel Share yeah, in right. film, uh, and he's dancing as he goes down because yes, uh, he uh, meets her in a club. Uh, and the third one is the guy we were talking about with the, the kind of the, the facial, mm. uh, the genetic condition. That uh, that she she ends up sparing, um, so yeah no but there's a really dark sense of humor going through it but no it really like it got even better for me in a rewatch I think the first time you watch it is so kind of dizzying because I don't know like I think expectations for it, the way it was kind of promoted I think I, I heard the word Kubrickian thrown about a lot and I think I expected it to be even more stylized than it was you know like the opening scenes yeah. are this very kind of end of 2001 you know very quick clinical there's the kind of the white space that it kind of opens in where she takes the clothes of the dead woman and kind of the, the personality and you know there's that long opening close up where it's like a, a dot in the middle of the screen that eventually becomes an eye and it, you know that's very stylized but a lot of it is so much is done with hidden cameras that it doesn't get to have that degree of stylization to it you know so it's much more kind of the, rough and ready the kind of opposing between the, the realism of the streets and it was kind of sold as everyone she meets doesn't know that it's her which yeah. isn't quite true I mean, yeah. you know, obviously but um, there is a bit of that going on you know? yeah. and I like the fact you're never quite sure who is it but well, yeah, part of exactly. the people that you know yeah well because that makes it so much more jarring when she finally does uh, take someone to the, the black goo because yeah. so far up to that point it has just been guys that she's been passing by on the street and so there's no indication when it first happens that the, the first guy she takes back and, and kills it is, you know, is an actor um, and so there's that kind of that slight disconnect of your like was he in on this? Was this, uh, you know, and then obviously he was when, yeah. once it gets to the point where like special effects would have had to take over. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's really cool how it's done. And it almost functions, but that said, like, it's so outlandish, but it does almost function as a documentary as well, just because it captures Glasgow at a specific time and place. You know I mean? You can even, you can identify the time that happens. There's posters up for gigs. And stuff yeah. I remember either going to or like thinking about going to yeah. getting tickets for, you know, and so you can, you can pinpoint the exact couple of months that happened in, in Glasgow that you know that it was filmed um, and the, the, the you know you talk about it kind of disorientating and that, well, that's everything about it the music the kind of opening scenes where you think what, what am I looking yeah, yeah. Michael Levy music from Mikachu and the Shapes is, is, is amazing it's one of the best soundtracks of the year it's the most one of the most complete films in that sense that I sort of saw this year that I'd seen in some time um, and you know everyone in it uh, you know, Ronnie, I think, said it was just one set piece after another. Um, I don't know, I hadn't thought about that. I suppose you could say that, but then you can say that about a lot of films, I think. I think it coheres a lot better with the second viewing, as I say. Like, as I, say I think I got, I, I don't know, a lot more of it on a rewatch, but certainly it went even higher in my estimations mm. after a rewatch because, as I say, you're so kind of dazzled by it first time around, you're so kind of disorientated by it, not sure what's going on, not sure but where it's going. Um, and knowing where it ultimately ends up and, and knowing that that moment like with the mirror in particular is the kind of the pivotal moment and the change and being able to see you know what happens after that point and what happens before and the move from like city to country and you know uh, and it's a series of relationships yeah. a series of meetings perhaps that's the best way of doing it I mean at the beginning when you know that fantastic scene where she's coming down into, I think it's in Enoch's but certainly it's down it's uh, really the Cannon Galleries the Cannon Galleries yeah, yeah, yeah. and um you know, it just 
they're looking around and there's just all these uh, unfamiliar faces going and then the series of meetings and picking up and getting bolder and then you know as you say having these kind of connections and actually trying to escape and it still relies on on meeting so that's the kind of episodic thing but she just couldn't do it on her own because she's actually her function is this fairly basic animal function yeah and Scarlett Johansson is incredible in it like absolutely incredible Mm -hmm. I think she is if if like just on broader beyond under the skin, I think Scarlett Johansson is my, my favorite movie star of the year. She's done such amazing work this year in such a kind of variety of different things. I mean, she's incredible in this. She's uh, does great voice work in her uh, the Spike mm-hmm. Jones film. Um, well, as I say, it's a voice. She's become a really good me. alien. Uh, yeah, alien. yeah, yeah. She's also <laughs> in uh, best one as Lucy, which is one of my favorite kind of. I don't know if it's a blockbuster. It's a bit too weird to be a blockbuster and a little bit kind of too. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think. I think it made the money of a blockbuster, but I don't. Th- I think it's too weird to be accurately described as that by itself. But she's great in that as well as a kind of a, a slightly different kind of superhero. And good to um, see Luke Besson. I think back doing. Stuff yeah, yeah, really yeah. Well, totally. Just yeah, it's, it's his best film in about twenty years. I think it's not not necessarily universally held opinion, but uh, I, I don't <laughs> had a lot of fun with. Well, you're not here for universal. Well, exactly. Opinions. But yeah, no, uh, it's a really been a, it's been a hell of a year for Scarlett Johansson. I think she's been uh, terrific, and uh, she's one of those. I think this is a year that she's become one of those people that I will probably go see a film now just because she's in it just okay. she's reached that level you know where you trust someone's judgement and the projects that they take on they've reached a certain point where you're like the Bill Murray moment the Bill Murray moment yeah um, did you think that there was you know you talked about Stanley Kubrick comparisons but what about Man Who Fell to Health comparisons oh I think that's much more accurate than the Kubrick yeah. comparisons I didn't really see the Kubrick comparisons as much yeah, as um, I, I think beyond that opening sequence I didn't really see much of Kubrick in it at all mm-hmm. um, I think Man Who Fell to Earth certainly it's similar uh, themes similar themes yeah um, <laughs> no they're, they're dealt with in a slightly different way than Man yeah, Who Fell yeah, Earth I think yeah, Man Who yeah. Fell to Earth is much more stylized and, and much more oblique actually I think uh, for all this kind of its initial difficulty, I think, under the skin is a lot more accessible than than Manifel Earth. Um, and in Manifel Earth, I suppose it's supposed to do that boys the alien, whereas in this, yeah, yeah as I say, it's everyone else. Yeah, but equally, I think, uh, equally iconic as a as a look to to boy in that with her and her, and her yeah. black wig and her leopard skin print and and everything else. You know, they're both really striking looking aliens. Well, it was you know if, if we are to talk about such a thing, it was my film of the year. I think absolutely. Um, now, so let's talk about God Help the Girl. Yeah. It is a musical. It is a musical, yeah. And uh, it's set uh, in the West End of Glasgow. It's Stuart Murdoch's debut. It's talk, much talked about for years and years. I think the album came yeah, out okay, about five years ago. Yeah, exactly. 2009. Um, and it's great. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a great collection of songs, I think. Um, the, for me, it got to have looked amazing. And like you said, it showed a part of Glasgow that often is not seen on film. Um... There, pro- there were problems I had with it. I think uh, I've, I've mentioned elsewhere that the scene where they're canoeing down the canal or down the river, and uh, the kind of things are thrown at them by generic Neds on the bank, and uh, there's a there's a mention of you know this is a city full of Neds. It's run by Neds, and you know we only are allowed to live here. And I thought that was blunt's the wrong word. I think yeah. it was just poorly 
conceived. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's a there's an argument to be made there that that's not necessarily an opinion that Murdoch shared. I think that that can be right. They also, I mean, it comes out of the mouth of. Um, of oh god what's his name uh, yeah, Alexander, Alexander's um, character but do you not yes. think he has, that's the closest character to murder maybe but I think he's also the one that they, 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 oh, yeah. definitely he's, he's also the one that they take the piss out of most regularly yeah. like down the girl they talk about like because he has that bit as well on that same canoe trip about being like I know more about Scotland than most of the people who and you know they talk about where, where, where were you born? It's like, well, I was born in England. He's got a really yeah. plummy English accent. It's like, but my parents are Scottish, you know. Yeah. It's like, a, or no, it's like I was born here. Yeah, but oh. when did you move away? It's like, well, six months later. It's if like, he was satirizing uh, the three of them, then I think yeah. that's something I didn't. I think, think there is a degree of distance from the three of them. I don't think it's a completely uncritical look at. Uh, that kind of lifestyle I think there is some kind of awareness of the disconnect and the fantasising and the trying to make glass that's interesting because I think that's something that um, Murdoch's been accused of before is kind of having his cake and eat it like enjoying the support of fans but actually gently sometimes not even gently taking the piss out of them as well yeah well I mean that's the thing I think like when when he writes songs I think this is something that like there are very few songwriters that people actually accept this from I think that, that they are writing characters in songs a lot of people just mistake songs as being like intimate confessions or something everything's written from the oh, point no, of view and, 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 yeah, of course. and I think Murdoch gets away with it quite often because he writes from the point of view of women and clearly writes from the point mm. of view of women so that's something that, that indicates oh this isn't about me and I don't know I suppose quite often there's that there's that argument made with film as well you know I think there are a lot of I mean, we were talking about this just last week, the Wolf of Wall Street, there were a lot of arguments going around that Scorsese was condoning the character's behaviour because he didn't explicitly condemn it in the film. Uh, You know, and you get that a lot. There was the whole Zero Dark Thirty thing a couple of years ago where people were arguing about whether or not it endorsed torture. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so there's a lot of, I think, a lot of time with film, uh, a tendency to think that just because activity is presented on screen and it's not explicitly condemned you know nobody comes on screen and says you're wrong for doing this you're wrong for thinking this or saying this that uh, that is endorsed by his creator but I, I don't know that that's the case I think there's enough gentle piss ripping of, of the characters <coughs> in, in God Help the Girl by each other you know just as kind of back and forth kind of banter yeah, and stuff good, to, the, to, the banter the, the, the relationship with the characters I think works really well yeah I, I think the music works really well then you know I'm a musical apologist yeah I noticed in your podcast you said he makes the GUU look like a nice place to be, he which is does. impossible. Yeah, exactly. You know, from that hotbed of misogyny. Exactly, and, uh, it's hideous. Yeah. But, um, so I think that achievement in and of itself you know, is, is worthy of, of, of some very high accolades because that's one of the high points of the film, the musical number set in the GUU, yeah, I'll Have to Dance with Cassie, is, is great. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it's. I mean, I'm not saying it's completely flawless, but it's, it's virtues outweighed its flaws for me. And I think even some of its, what some people would call its flaws, like, I mean, it openly, I think, pays homage to various films. Um, you know, there's some dance sequences, but yeah. definitely kind of ripped off from elsewhere. Um, but that's no bad thing. I think that's not a problem in this because it's just a kind of. Um, it's a celebration of music and it's a celebration of his influences yeah. and that's what a lot of his music is a celebration of his influences well that's the well. thing I mean like I said on my own podcast as well it's um, you know people can can call him out for saying oh he's just openly flaunting his influence and it's like well yeah but I like all those influences yeah, exactly. too you know I, I, I love like, that's what I agree I love the French New <laughs> Wave I love Jacques Demy I love you know like Richard Lester and like you know all the early kind of 60s British you know New Wave films with Albert Finney and Tom Courtney and stuff like that he's clearly paying homage to as well you know so it's always right in my wheelhouse you know it's every everything that he was referencing that is something that I also enjoy and uh, do you think there's a problem from writing songs this might be fine but now when you make movies and 
I suppose it's not quite a fair comparison, but I'll make it anyway. Um, that he does seem to fetishise teenage or early young women in it. I mean, I don't know if fetishise is the right word. I think he's fascinated with that, that period of, of life. I think that is... Because that's the, what he kind of remembers fondly or... Yeah, or, I think it's just because it's quite a fertile time for, you know, for, for drama because everything's heightened, you know, everything's melodramatic yeah. at that point, especially, I think, with, you, you know, with, with young women. I think, yeah, I think, like, you know, young women in particular are, are you know, especially open at that stage and... Uh, like I think guys tend to kind of you know bunch up a little bit more and, and not really you know be as as if you know forthcoming. But when you have like you know a, a group like he has in in God help the girl, he's able to you know it it feels more natural from the burst into song. I think because everything's quite heightened anyway. Yeah, no, no. Like the emotions are heightened to begin with anyway, and every tiny drama seems like something that can consume the world. You know, and so uh, I think it makes sense from that point of view for a musical, and I think it makes sense for the for the kind of music he writes too. Um, I mean, I'm just. I actually really enjoyed it as well. I, I just there are some things which didn't sit really well with me, and also I've talked to other people about it who really yeah. didn't like it. Yeah. And actually, you know, who you would think some some of them you would have thought really would have, and I think there were. But I, I wonder if that is just a general feeling about. Um, Stuart Murdoch making movies instead of making I'd like to see what yeah. he does next I, really I think look there's a degree of cultural cringe to the way it's been received in Scotland I think like a lot of not necessarily like just reviews I've read but reactions I've had from friends reactions I've seen on Twitter and other kind of you know negative reactions to it. I think there's a certain degree of like you know just projecting your own dislike of like the kind of people that it portrays you know that yeah, kind of yeah, student yeah, West End yeah. type onto, onto the characters and I think it's like you know that that's Part of Glasgow life, and it's it's, no, it's, it's part of Bell and Sebastian. Like, certainly, you know, exactly, you're going yeah. to see this film if you didn't. Well, exactly, yeah, but um, you know, it, it's it's as much a part of Glasgow as anything is in like any kind of Ken Loach film or 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 indeed Under the Skin, and uh, I think so. Yeah, it, it deserves to be documented, and whether or not you like, and yes, the it, as I say, go back thing. It looks beautiful. It's yeah. absolutely stunning. Well, yeah, um, just that opening sequence, like seeing Emily Browning kind of dance her way through Central Station and Buchanan Street and the Necropolis, like that, I was immediately on board with it. Yeah. You know, it would have taken a lot, like, uh, like a lot, a lot to, to, to make me dislike it after that point. You know, I mean, as I say, I can recognise that, like, you know, that it's not the most propulsively plot-driven film, is that the characters are quite thin in places, but I think the performances carry it, the, you know, the songs carry it, the songs are great, as I say, I'm always... A lot of the films that he does uh, reference are not plot driven either. Well, exactly. Yeah, they yeah. are, but set pieces. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've said this before as well, but I think that, like, if this had been some kind of lost film from the French New Wave that was, like, rediscovered, that it, you know, been made in the 60s in Paris, I think people would be falling over themselves to praise it. Um, it's not perfect, but uh, there's a lot of ambition and a lot of heart about yeah. it, and I think it just. Uh, like, just pulls off enough of what it sets out to do to, to be absolutely worth your time. Especially, I mean, your, your tolerance and your mileage may vary for it but uh, I think if you're if you're a fan of Bell and Sebastian then it's certainly if you're not a fan of Bell and Sebastian I can't recommend you yeah. no exactly I absolutely but, uh, agree if, if I think we broadly then, agree yeah. on that with maybe just varying levels of it. yeah 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 um, so Ronnie mentioned a to Scotland with Love the King Kreese have you seen I haven't actually seen from Scotland with Love I, I managed to miss it uh, well a lot I say I mean it's a, it's a compilation of archive footage <laughs> um it was on BBC I think for an hour but you can buy it on DVD it's a longer version and, and it goes with the, the soundtrack and, and the, the imagery work beautifully as a kind of sepia tinted history of Scotland in the last century and I kind of highly recommend it but since uh, 
you didn't see that. What else would you like to talk That's about? Actually. Well, um, I don't know. It was a really like front loaded year for film this year. I think like I was looking at my top ten, like eight of the ten films were released in the first month of the year. Oh, no, the first three months of the year. Sorry, not right. the first month of the year. Um, so a lot of it, and half of those were, were spillovers from from twenty thirteen kind of awards season that would have been released in America at the tail end of last year, but. Uh, yeah, I think my, my absolute favourite film of the year was probably the Grand Budapest Hotel, the okay. latest Wes Anderson film, which I think is one of his very best um, and certainly broadened his scope a little bit and maybe brought in... I don't, I don't like... I, I mean, I'm a massive Wes Anderson fan anyway and I will defend him against all accusations of being... I, I've been and, in your company when you've done that, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> too aestheticised and uh, too insular and too much caught up in his own little world. I think there are... Uh, degrees of emotion and degrees of uh, darkness to Wes Anderson that tend to get overlooked. People kind of are distracted by the, the, the picture book visuals and uh, and don't and miss a lot of what's going on underneath it. But uh, there's a lot of kind of real pain and a lot of raw emotion, I think, underneath a lot of the a lot of those surfaces in Wes Anderson films. And I think this was uh, certainly one of the darkest, despite its kind of candy-coloured exterior, certainly one of the darkest films he's made to date, which is about the kind of the um, it's really his kind of reaction to the onset of the Second World War in, mm-hmm. um, in Europe and the kind of the dark, the dark forces kind of bubbling under the surface of the interwar period, underneath that kind of um, idealized Europe between the wars kind of um, kind of image, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's very affecting, but it's also a total riot. Like Ray Fiennes is another like a Whiskar Johansson, I think one of the defining part performances of the year in it. He's absolutely extraordinary in it. The support cast is incredible. Um, it looks tremendous. It's a great kind of comedy romp, if you like, uh, through mm-hmm. various fictional Eastern European locations. Um, so yeah, that's that's one of my favorites of the year. Uh, the other obvious one is Richard Linklater's Boyhood, which yeah. uh, was a big breakout of success that um, I don't know if a lot of people predicted would take off as well as it did, or even the final product would cohere as well as it did, because obviously it was a massive risk to to film a project over the course of 12 years and see how it would turn out but uh, yeah no, I think it's is another kind of magnificent achievement other than that uh, a few others from this year uh, Under the Skin we've talked about uh, the Coen Brothers Inside Lou and Davis mm-hmm. uh, again like Wes, like Wes Anderson's I think that's one of their, their very best that is very effective Wolf of Wall Street I thought it was Scorsese's best in about 20 years um, I mentioned her already mm-hmm. um, 12 Years a Slave I think is kind of been forgotten about by a lot of people at this point in the year yeah, because it came out so early yeah, yeah, they think of it as one of last year's one but, and because it won Best Picture at the Oscars as well but it's a really raw vital <coughs> passionate angry piece of work that I think doesn't deserve to be beaten into the middle brow by, uh, by his Oscar win uh, I've forgotten about um a Claire Denis Bastards I really liked which is uh, it's been divisive even for fans of hers you know Claire Denis is known for uh, Beau Travail I think and uh, I, I don't know her one at all she's a French director obviously uh, she made I think Beau Travail is probably her most famous film which is uh, um, an adaptation of the oh god what's the book oh I can't it's set in the French Foreign Legion anyway right. and uh, Dennis Levant is in it and it's um is uh, yeah anyway that's not relevant to what Bastards is Bastards <laughs> is uh, Bastards she, uh, Bastards is kind of a, a, her take on film noir uh, it opens with a really startling image of uh, a, a young woman walking naked down city streets with uh, you know at night with blood running down the inside of her legs and kind of takes it from there and it's um, bracingly dark I think is how I would put it it's really 
um, is really affecting um, is the kind of thing that leaves you a bit shell-shocked when you're done with it. Uh, as always with Claire Denise, great soundtrack from the Tinder Sticks. They're oh. long-time collaborators with her. Oh, that's how I know their name. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got some of the soundtracks and not that, seen the film. That, that'll be it, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was divisive even amongst fans of her work. But... Uh, uh, yeah, no, it's very much worth seeing if you're if you're in the mood for for something dark. Okay. Um, another returning French great this year, uh, Jean Luc Godard's latest film, Goodbye to Language, his first in three D, um, and made at the age of eighty three. Uh, Is this it's, recent? Yeah, this came out. Uh, well, it, it's gone straight to DVD over here. Actually, it's baffling for a three D film. Yeah, three D is so integral to it. Um, it got a one off showing at the GFT as part of the French Film Festival just last month, uh, which I was lucky enough to get along to, and it's, it's overwhelming, it's absolutely stunning. Uh, with somewhere a lot of late period Godard, I'm not entirely sure what it's about or what happens in it, but uh, the visuals are so kind of overwhelming in this one. He makes such good use of 3D and mm-hmm. on ridiculously low budget means as well. He uses like consumer grade cameras, GoPros, and Canons that you just wow. can buy at any electronic shop, and some of the effects that he achieves are incredible, like overlaying images, so you'll have different images in the left and right eye, so you can kind of you have both eyes open and see them overlap, or you can close one eye and then the other and kind of edit them back and forth yourself. I'm doing the closing the eye thing. Obviously, nobody can see this because yeah, it's a podcast. It's very impressive. Uh, yeah, it's very impressive. Yeah, I was doing the, doing the eye since myself. Um, <laughs> and the other one I'll put in a shout for, because I think it's one that a lot of people could also dismiss as a joke, but it's actually very, very good, is uh, Lars von Trier's uh, sexual Odyssey Nymphomaniac. Uh, yeah, so I didn't get around to seeing that. It's uh, tremendous. I mean, Couldn't I. bring myself to go into Fox and can I have him for me? No, exactly. Yeah, you'd have to ask. They'd keep it behind the counter, obviously, wrapped in black plastic. Okay. Uh, and it also had Shia LaBeouf in it, didn't it? It did have Shia LaBeouf in it. Who's bearable? Which is about the best thing wow. I can say for Shia LaBeouf. He's not one of your actors of the. Not really. Is no. <laughs> um, Yeah, no, I mean, there are a few performances in that. Charlotte Gainsbourg, excellent, is amazing. Uma Thurman steals it, walks away with it, supporting actress of the year. She's uh, She has one scene and she kills it. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, um, I saw the double bill. They did a, a one-off double bill screening of it uh, in advance of its general release. Mm-hmm. Uh, so saw both volumes back-to-back, the full five and a half hours of it, or however long it was. Uh, first volume is actually fairly light. It's a bit of a romp would be too strong a word, but yeah, it's actually... It's there's, closest there's, volunteer of Yeah, yeah, yeah. Run. It's fairly light. It's fairly funny. Um, the real darkness comes in the second volume when it starts to get into uh, like, um, some S&M and, and that kind of stuff and uh, some very... Um, uncomfortable scenes with uh, Jamie Bell and uh, a few other uh, a few other uh, notable things that I won't spoil but yeah no, <laughs> well you just yeah. don't want to talk about I it I know we're explicit but yeah, for yeah, goodness yeah. sake um, but yeah no the uh, the cast is great in that again you know you have like um, Stan Skarsgård's in it uh, Willem Dafoe's in it uh, I saw the facial the, posters the posters, from one of yeah, yeah 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 um, no it lives up it lives up to that um, I mean I I People might know from previous podcasts, I'm firmly on board with Von Trier anyway. So I think this is probably a, a similar thing to, to God Help the Girl and, and Wes Anderson. It's like, you're not already on board, I don't think this is going to convert you. But if I'd you, say last Von Trier doing God Help the Girl, you know, is it well, going very different? Well, he, he tried that already and ended up making Dancer in the Dark, which yeah, did go course, very yeah. different. No, nobody was hung at the end of God Help the Girl. Um, it's more is the pity, some might say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, in Infomaniac, it's, it's almost like the Von Trier mega mix. It's everything that like, Von Trier does well uh, in, in one film. Uh, yeah, it, it's take the, the Von Trierisms. Yeah, exactly, absolutely. But it's not just a retread of, of his past work either. I think it's, uh, it rounds off his past couple of, It rounds off Antichrist and Melancholia very well. His trilogy of depression, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Um, 
but yeah, no, it's uh, it's, it's a startling piece of work. Yeah, I can recommend. I can recommend. I think Trilogy of Depression was a Cradle of Filth album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's a couple of things. I did you see Starred Up? I did. Yeah, I like Starred Up a lot. So let's talk a little bit about Starred Up. Starred Up was David McKenzie. We've spoken about McKenzie before, and I'm yeah. a big fan. Is I think maybe you're not quite well, as so. much. I, I like him fine, but I think yeah, I thought this was maybe his strongest piece of work. I, I really liked Starred Up. Um, I thought it was. Um, I mean, it's it's the kind of thing that that has been done before you know obviously uh, scum like prison, right? yeah yeah you know a young, young guy making his way up from Borstal to, to full grown prison for the first time yeah. but I thought the performances were excellent I thought there was a real kind of energy to it and a real kind of tension to it um, to, um yeah, you say no, the setup is I've heard for people who haven't seen it it's set in a, a, a prison this young guy um, Jack O'Connell who's yeah. becoming a bit of a star yeah he's excellent and I mean he looks like a coiled spring in it. Uh, know, it's, it's terrifying to see that on screen where you think someone you can feel the, it's it's like Ray Winston and Scum and you think yeah. well this guy could explode at any moment yeah. and it's such a physical performance yeah. and he's too young to be there but he's too nuts to be anywhere else yeah. so they kind of put him into this thing and it's almost I presume deliberately quite stagey because yeah. it's set there's three levels of the prison he's the bottom level turns out his dad played equally amazingly by Ben Mendelsohn yeah. who now there's an actor I would go and see him in yeah, anything he's incredible yeah um, he's at the top and it turns out you know he's he's uh, in a relationship with another one of the prisoners and um, O'Connell's character has just got this anger that he doesn't know how to deal with um, and it's and there's not much more to it than that, that, that just how he manages to even at the end you're not sure anything's really resolved yeah but it's 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 about institutionalised violence it's also about how you break people out of that um, it could have been very worthy it manages to avoid that I yeah. think um, it's very compelling like it's got a real energy to it that I think uh, avoids any of that kind of sermonising or moralising you know it just it kind of presents things in a fairly uncomplicated manner and just let you take what you will from it. Um, uh, yeah, no, I thought it was it was maybe Mackenzie's best, certainly his best since, since Howl and Fall. I think it might be his best. I, I really do. I think he certainly gets... I mean, maybe he always gets really good performances out of his, his, his actors, but here he gets just, I mean, astonishing performances. I don't know whether that's down to them, because as I say, Ben Mendelsohn, you know, is amazing in anything. Um maybe apart from early neighbours or whatever he was in back then but uh, and, and Jack O'Connell who's now looks as though his star is definitely on the rise and who was in I don't know if you ever saw Eden Lake I did see Eden Lake oh, where he terrorised Michael Fassbender he terrorises Michael Fassbender and it takes someone well as a teenager yeah and it takes someone to do that um, I think that was a, it was it was a great film uh, and really different again a bit like Under the Skin for different reasons not the easiest of watches, but um, well worth seeing and checking out. Um, something which I haven't yet seen is Edwin Collins' The Possibilities Are Endless. I haven't either. I have it on order for my Christmas, so we'll maybe review that sometime next, next year. Uh, yeah. But I'm looking forward to that. It's a documentary about Edwin Collins' um, uh, life at the moment, and um, uh, apparently it's fantastic. Uh, and just one mention for a couple of things that came out on DVD this year, which I hadn't seen. One was for those in peril. Have you seen For Those I in Peril? I haven't seen For Those in Peril. I've heard very good things about it. It's fantastic. Uh, very kind of magical realist, set up in the north of Scotland in a fishing community. Um, two brothers, one dies and the other can't deal with it. And anyway, it's, it, it's really worth checking out. The Sony Flesh of Man. With a uh, new Tom Weir, David Heyman. David Heyman. David Heyman plays Cannibal uh, in the... 
don't know whether he is Sonny Bean or whether he is in the line, you know, in the kind right, of line. Yeah, yeah. Sort of, but uh, as a, if you like any kind of horror, proper old school, scary, not quiet, quiet, loud, but really your guts and gore and, you know, that kind of stuff. A bit like early Peter Jackson or right. that, that kind of thing. You can't take it too seriously. It was perfect for that. Okay. Really good fun. I thought it was great. Um... Re- there was a reassure of that sinking feeling that finally yes, got excellent. the kind of version it deserved. The BFI treatment. Yeah, the proper BFI treatment, so you no longer had to have terrible dubbed uh, uh, versions on it. And I, just closing, we were talking about the We Love Gregory's Girl documentary that's trying to get funded at the moment, and I think you know that would be worthwhile looking yeah. up and helping out if you can. Ooh, one more thing. I yes, just one remember. more thing. He has been coaching Colombo, by the yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, before I go, well, let me put on my raincoat and talk about it. It's not a strictly film, but the, the one-off screen at the GFT of Your Cheating Heart, John Burns' Your Cheating Heart. Oh, yes. Uh, which which Ali, unfortunately, had to miss. But uh, yeah, they showed all six hours or whatever it is of Your Cheating Heart over the course of a Sunday afternoon at the end of August. And it was tremendous. I've never seen it because it's still completely unavailable on DVD because I think uh, rights to the music or something like that. Something like that, yeah. But, um, yeah, which is what kept Tutti Fruity off DVD for so long. But uh, yeah, I really hope that it eventually makes its way out there because it deserves a, a far bigger audience than it presumably has managed to find in its years languishing in the BBC vault. It's fantastic. It's got some great country music in it. It's got early performances from a. Oh no, obviously Frank Fraser Boyle, that's the character's yeah. name. Uh, John Gordon Sinclair's in it. John Gordon Sinclair's uh, in it. Eddie Tilda Swinton's in it. Tilda Swinton, yeah. Eddie Reader, Katie Murphy. Richard Jobson turns up as an Italian gangster. Richard Jobson turns up, fantastic uh, in yeah. it. Um, there's a character called Tamara McCaskill, which yes. is uh, did. Lots of proper country western stars are in it. Um, uh, there's it's just it's just fantastic it's a fantastic yeah. um, six hours and hopefully it will eventually be, yeah, be put out it's almost too ambitious I think it kind of it almost trips itself up in the final episode because there's so many plot threads that it has left to resolve that it has a lot of plot to get through it's it final, has got a lot it's final it, the, the final like episode does fall apart a bit yeah. I think there's no doubt about but, that um, yeah I think even more ambitious than 2 Free. you know 2 Free seems positively small scale compared to yeah. I think some of the stuff that he tries to pull off in your cheating heart um, it's uh, certainly my favourite uh, film noir western musical set in Glasgow yeah say. absolutely of, of the 80s of the 80s of the, 80s. Or, or the, late, of the late, 80s, late 80s early 90s yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah exactly uh, Ken Stott was who I was trying Ken to Stott, remember yeah, Ken Stott, Stott, Stott is in it, it uh, as a fishmonger stroke drug, drug dealer yes um, and he is a brilliant um, I think we'll take a little break here and get a, grab a bottle of beer uh, whatever and uh, we'll be back with you talking about books in just a minute cheers back again uh, everyone we're going to talk books in this section of what's shaping up to be a rather mammoth podcast just even in the break there the three of us were talking about under the skin which we could have recorded but we've done that um, I'm going to start talking about some non-fiction books that came out this year um, some of which we spoke to the people involved on our podcasts earlier podcasts one was 21 revolutions which was put together by the Glasgow Women's Library um, out in a Bridgen, I nearly forgot there, who uh, we, we spoke to Adele from there and, and uh, who was a, one of our best podcasts, I think it was fantastic. 
Um, and it's a collection of art and essays and fiction and poetry um, with a fantastic cover which makes it look like, you know, never mind the bollocks. It's got a real... Uh, anyway, it's a it's fantastic collection which you should really check out. And you should check out the library as well because it's got a fantastic collection of books and other artefacts. Um, another a podcast guest was Peter Ross who came on um, to talk about his collection of... Um, call them essays, columns maybe, from uh, that he'd written over the f- past few years called Donderlust, which is a great name. And uh, Peter talked to us about, um, the, you know, the little snippets of Scottish life that are not easily recognised or are often hidden, you know, whether it's SNN clubs or um, gay pubs or... A geese, a, a geese, <laughs> or, <laughs> migrating or, geese. Um, yeah, or murmuration, or all sorts of things. It's a, it's a terrific read for anyone. Um, other musical, a uh, non-fiction books. There was a uh, Zoe Howe's Barbed Wire Kisses, which was a biography of the Jesus and Mary Chain, which I can highly recommend. Um, she did that great thing of not making. There was a nice balance between reported. Uh, anecdotes from people who were there at the time and stuff which she'd obviously researched and it never jarred the two that she kind of really did it all together she's just done another biography of Stevie Nicks ah. which I really quite fancy because I'm fascinated by Stevie Nicks yeah. I'm kind of fascinated by Fleetwood Mac in general um, going right back to the Peter Green days they're a, they're a phenomenon it shouldn't work nothing about no. Fleetwood Mac should, but they're all Fucking mental. <laughs> that's why it works. <laughs> that's that's why, why it works. I think that's it. Is. It's kind of yeah. upper class English and kind of Californian, you know, royalty almost coming together and weirdly it working. Anyway, that's for a different conversation. But anyway, I highly re- recommend um, the Jesus and Mary Chain book, Barbara Kisses. Um, one of my highlights of the year was being able to uh, interview Viv Albertine about her book uh, Close, 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 Music, 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 Boys, 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 which I don't think is a great title, but the book's fantastic. Um, Viv Albertine, once off the slits, now got some solo stuff out. Anyway, that was just personally a joy to be able to speak to. And um, Simon Reynolds, I think it's Simon Reynolds, had a book out, Simply Thrilled, which is his kind of look at postcard records. A lot of postcard record stuff this year with the film, the Edwin Collins film, and new album from Edwin Collins, and later we're going to talk um, about Roddy Frame. But uh, it's a good uh, read too. Um, and then there was there was that thing called the referendum, and there was a whole spate of books that went out around mm-hmm. that. Just just a few. Just a few. Um, I'll just mention a couple of them. One which was really quite different was Arts of Independence by Alan Reich and Sandy Moffat, which looked at the kind of artistic argument for an independent Scotland, which is one that wasn't often made. Another interesting one was Born Under a Union Flag, which was edited by Alan Bissett and Alistair McKillop, and it was asking fans of Glasgow Rangers what they felt about the possibility of an independent Scotland and the referendum, and it was such an odd concept that it really worked, because it asked things and got answers that you wouldn't get from anyone else, and arguments that you wouldn't get, and people going, I don't know what my identity is anymore. Um, So that was... you know, there were lots of other great ones, of course, but uh, they were two which caught my eye. Um, yourself, Chris, what were you reading? Well, um, as we've established on previous year-end podcasts, I am absolutely terrible at keeping up with contemporary uh, 
books that are well, books that are published. The well, reading books. That's the established since just yeah. finished Waverley. Yeah, yeah, I just finished Waverley. It took me two hundred years. Um, <laughs> the closest I came this year, like a, a title that was actually published this year, is one that I'm still kind of working my way through uh, because I actually bought a copy for my brother for Christmas, but I accidentally ordered two and then decided just to keep the second one instead of sending it back because it came and it looked so good that I could return it. It's a graphic novel by uh, Ed Piscar, who's a young American cartoonist, I believe in his early 30s, called uh, Hip Hop Family Tree, which uh, sets out to do nothing less than chronicle the entire history of hip hop from the 70s to the present day. It's an ongoing project. Is it again, there was rock family trees for a while. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's nothing, it's not it's affiliated not exactly with the, the BBC or anything like no, that. No, no, it's, no. Um, I think it started as a webcomic on Boing Boing, possibly, right. um, and it's now been collected into these gorgeous uh, books by Fantagraphics, who are the, the publishers of, or at least came up with the, the, the concept for my beloved Complete Peanuts collections, uh, which come Absolutely. out on an annual basis. Um, but yeah, no, it was great. The, uh, the first two volumes are out so far. I think the, the second volume came out this year, the first volume came out last year. He is just putting the finishing touches to the third to come out next year. Uh, the first two volumes only reached 1983. Uh, so it's quite exhaustive. Uh, the first uh, wow. spans the mid seventies to I believe nineteen eighty, and the second is eighty one to eighty three. But it's the real kind of, you know, the formation of the sound. You know, so Africa Bambata, Grandmaster Flash. You know, the real early days, the real kind of early pioneers. Um, Fab Five Freddy. It's great as well. I think graphing off is actually a really good way of approaching hip hop because it emphasizes that it's not just about the music it's the visual culture as well so mm-hmm. you can bring in like Fat Five Freddy and his connection to Basquiat and stuff like that and the, the kind of the artistic side of it um, and it's really kind of dizzy in the way it lays it out you know because it, it what, it's, it's a graphic it's, novelist I mean, it's, it's a kind of style of it what does, what does it's, kind of, your it's done in the kind of like faded colours and like the paper's kind of brown so it looks like I think the, the way I've seen it described is, is like the kind of colour schemes of Marvel comics from the 70s you know okay. so contemporaneously and I don't know if he's going to change the style and clean up so a lot to reflect yeah. the style of comics well, as they evolved but uh yeah, it's really just the way it lays out. You know, it'll be like page long stories at a time, and then the characters kind of intersect and come together. So you know, they'll all have their own different areas of New York, depending on the boroughs that are in. Uh, and then yeah, characters start to interact. He'll occasionally insert panels of future hip hop stars, maybe listening in on the radio at home. So there'll be cameos from like Dr. Dre as a kid. You know, being told to turn that racket down or whatever. Yeah. There is segments where. You know, like uh, like Blondie's introduction to the yep. scene where they uh, Chris Stein and Debbie Harry first are first taken by Fab Five Freddy to see Grandmaster Flash, and so they're standing in the crowd going, "Flash is fast, Flash is cool." cool. Yeah, you know, all yeah. this kind all of stuff. stuff yeah. So yeah, no, it's really cool. It's really well done, and uh, yeah, I, I'm it's pr- a pretty exhilarating read. Uh, I can hardly recommend it if you're into um, hip hop at all, or or indeed graphic novels. It's uh, oh. it's really well done. Ed Piscar is the guy's name. It's very much worth checking out. Um, other than that. A couple of volumes um, before he reaches Ice and Hammer. Yeah, yeah, quite a few. That'll be well. I expect that'll be a whole volume in itself. <laughs> the, the 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 lore is so rich in the great in the great yeah, Ice, uh, Vanilla Ice, and, and MC Hammer Wars, as they were known. As they were known. You know, as we all wore those T-shirts. I survived the MC yeah, Hammer yeah. Vanilla Ice Team Wars. Team Vanilla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, please, Hammer, don't hurt them. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, other notable things from this year. I finally read Lolita this year. I've never read Lolita. It's like magical. It's incredible. Well, that's the wrong term for it. But, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. an incredible book. It's, it's dizzying. What you were talking really. about earlier um, uh, with regards to Stuart Murdoch songs or film or what people often yeah. do and they think, they forget this fiction. Yeah. They think, well, this must be, I mean, Lolita's the, almost the prime example of that. Yeah. And I know um, from talking to someone who teaches the book, has had students come up and go, well, this guy's a pedophile. So I said, right, 
it's a yeah. character in a book, and yeah. you know, it, but it is one of the, it's one of my favorite books. It's astonishing. Yeah, book. it's incredible. I mean, and just the almost just as like an an aesthetic experience, not necessarily leaving aside, you know, kind of the thematic implications, the 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 you know the moral aspects of it, if you like, or any any other consideration. Just that the, like the verbal text, yeah, just yeah, his yeah. use of language is, is incredible is. for someone who whose first language wasn't even English, you know, yeah. Nap- like Napakov's use of, of language is, is utterly extraordinary, you know, and it is. It always makes uh, me think of the time when, in The Simpsons, where the Germans got to take over and it goes, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Simpson, my use of English is ineloquent, yeah, yeah, or ineloquent, yeah. and it's, it, there's a bit of that about, you know, it's such yeah. an elegant, because he's had to think closely about nearly every word, more so than yeah. perhaps someone who's English. Absolutely, English. and it's also hilarious. Like, I think that's something I, I was uh, not prepared for was how funny Lolita is. Yeah. It's, it's really funny. Um, so that and uh, I think I, I've been doing the past um, couple of years I've been on an effort to reread a, a couple of Kelman books a year um, just to try and uh, because it's been like about a decade since yeah. I first read all of them and see how if they've changed and my relationship with them has changed. So I read them a couple of key points in this year. First I read A Disaffection uh, yeah. round about my birthday this year which okay. was uh, a cheap thing to be doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, because uh, a disaffection um, protagonist in that is, is, I believe, 29, I, I oh, think he gosh, is. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I turned 28 in May this year, so I'm yeah. much closer in age uh, to him than, than, I was, uh, than I was when I first read it about 10 years ago, and it really like it had the kind of impact on me this time around that maybe like, reading The Crow Road did yeah. uh, when I was that age, when I was yeah. about like, 19, 20, uh, in that this is frighteningly accurate this <laughs> is frighteningly it's, like, it's, um, I always think of it as the, the person that Kelman feared he would be yeah 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 that kind of that fear of, of hitting this age and being afraid of stagnating and kind of and not really knowing where to go next or what to do next that kind of just that kind of drift of like I'm done with uni I've been in a job for a few years what happens now you know that kind of that, thing and that scene where he's washing the dishes with his dad and there's this kind of lack of communication yeah. between the two oh because yeah. again talking about aliens he's the alienated one from his family because yeah. he's now educated in yeah. so yeah there's that and then uh, around about the, the referendum I, I read uh, I reread how late it was how late um, because the the kind of the brouhaha that sprang up around it winning the booker weighed very heavily on my mind with a lot of the, the arguments that came up uh, around about the referendum of Scottish culture being seen as um somehow uh, inferior to, to dominant British culture or something or not being part of, uh, of uh, an acceptable part of British culture because it's written in Scots and because there's no concessions made to necessarily an English audience um, and all of that and uh, yeah no I mean it's still like such a like thrilling vital piece of work and I think a landmark in, in Scottish literature and, and, and I think European literature absolutely well. yeah that's the thing like Kelman so not parochial, you know. Yeah. He's definitely like a world, uh, like a world author. You know, yeah. I mean, it, was it what was the, the was it the international booker he was nominated for a few years ago yeah. for Kieran Smith Boy, and it's really he really belongs in that kind of grouping. I think you know he is. He's a major international author, and um, and I think sometimes we perhaps again might be a cultural cringe thing. It might be just familiarity being content, but sometimes we take him. Maybe not for granted, but um, it should be a celebration of of. James Kelman's work, I think, much more than there is. Yeah. Um, there were a few, uh, I'd read a, a whole bunch of fiction this year, um, and there was a few well-known writers that came out with some new stuff. Alan Warner's Their Lips Talk of Mischief was kind of like a literary, um, with Neil and I, set in, uh, well, again, set in London, but the two characters who basically um, want to be successful writers, but, you know, 
kind of alcohol and and, and, and other things get in the way. Um, I think it was it was a really it was back to being a really fun. I mean, read for Alamon. I think he he very good at that. Talking of which, Irvin Welsh, the sex lives of Siamese twins. Wow. Um, but actually, it was a really good. It was it was, it was one of his um, American books set in uh, I think it was set in Florida. I think. Anyway, um, I never quite think he gets that as well as he does when he's in Edinburgh. Um, but this was it, it was it was fine. Um, and that's really damning with faint praise. He would hate that. But it wasn't one of his best books. It certainly didn't live up to Skag Boys. But it's a good, if you like other Welsh, you probably read it anyway. Um, Louise Welsh a new novel, the first part of a trilogy, um, a lovely way to burn, uh, which I can highly recommend. Doug Johnson, Deadbeat. Um, not quite as good as Gone Again, I would say, which is the previous one, but still very recognisable by Doug Johnson, you know, quick, um, great soundtrack to it. Uh, there's a great thing where he goes back and finds, uh, the, one of the characters finds um, kind of diary entries about gigs that her parents had met and been to, and it's some of the best, most famous Scottish gigs in the 90s, you know, in Nirvana and Edinburgh and Teenage Fan Club at the Barras and all that kind of thing. Um, Dillis Rose's Pelmanism, it was a very fine book, um, and some of the I, one of the best which I'll talk about, and, and again, it was a podcast uh, guest was Ron Butlin's Ghost Moon. Um, I, you know, bound to know one in my admiration for Ron Butlin, and this is just heartbreaking, but again, never overly sentimental about growing old and, and memory and um, family and struggle and society's uh, expectations. Um, a young woman pregnant who doesn't know the father in the 40s in uh, Presbyterian Edinburgh, you know, is not an easy life ahead, but, you know, he manages to create this kind of magical, heroic character of Maggie who grows through it. Another great Scottish writer, Ali Smith's How to Be Both, was my book of the year. Uh, for having such a thing as I keep saying <laughs> and, uh, and I think you know we often overly play this idea of dualism in Scotland I think you'll agree you know the Jekyll and Hyde and all that Caledonian anti-system I wasn't going to mention <laughs> that but I also think we now sometimes overplay overplaying it and you know there is it's not just Scotland there's a lot of places where there is a, a you know a doubling or a split personality or whatever you want to call anyway it's one of the cleverest books you'll ever read it's just she's such a craftsperson uh, a, a, as a writer um, other books to mention there was a lot of good if not new newish writers Nina Delamere Layla terrific book came out in the beginning of the year um, Chu Sai Tai's The Mouse Deer Kingdom um, it felt to me like a oh gosh I've totally forgotten the name of the in Passage to India I don't know if you've ever, ever had to read Passage to I India I've seen the film well yeah <laughs> well, no, that, that, what it did was it made you kind of uncomfortable in a culture that you weren't quite sure of and took you there and there was the heat and the, the sounds and the sounds and the, 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 the things that the people do and then there was this the western culture kind of forcing its way into that and not really finding a, a fit um Fantastic short story collections. Um, Annalisa McIntosh's Any Other Mouth and uh, Kirsty Logan's The Rental Heart um, are both highly recommended and you can read reviews of them on the website if you're so minded. A.L. Um, e. Kennedy had a, a short story collection, All the Rage. 
James Robertson did a really interesting thing, and I haven't read it yet, but I've got it to read again. 365 stories, which I'm guessing is a story for each day of the year. In fact, I know it is because I have opened it myself. But, you know, I always want to read James Robertson stuff. And a, there was some interesting uh, collections of fiction um, freight uh, published out there, which is a collection of LGBT writing. Um, which I again thoroughly recommend some amazing stories in there again you've got to be careful that you don't read too much into you know it is fiction but um, it, it, some of the tales that are told are just uh, amazing um, Yonder a War which was the publication that came out of the Empire Cafe <coughs> um, and we'll talk about the Empire Cafe a little bit later when we talk about our kind of events or things of the year but um there was a, a collection called Yondra War that came with it, which was a small uh, collection. Was it mainly poetry? Yeah. Mainly poetry, a couple of essays. Yeah, but it was beautiful. Oh, yeah, it was really amazing. beautifully done as well. It was, um, and then the selection and the breadth of, uh, of voice. Yeah. And it was, was quite something as well. I really liked that little publication. It was, and I it was remember free, the, they gave it away. Exactly, it was free. I remember Louise and Judge Markham at the time that, you know, this was, was given away to people at it and at the time I thought, oh, that's, that's great, it's a really nice thing to do. And now when I look at that and look back on it, I'm like, it's a keeper. It's a keeper of, of a time and place. I mean, although it's a giveaway, it's not a throwaway no, by any stretch. Exactly. And there's also uh, a new compilation called In the Empty Places, which I just received, which is another great collection. Um, other things to check out would be Liam Murray Bell's The Busker um, new books from writers like Nick Brooks Ian Maloney um, Craig A. Smith's The Mile was interesting because it was one of the few bits of fiction that dealt with the referendum pre-referendum anyway um, and that just because I don't know if people thought fiction wasn't the right place to deal with something so Important, um, but uh, it was really, uh, really interesting. I, read I to see, see a lot of books about it forthcoming, a lot of fiction forthcoming about it in the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. I think now that the dust has settled, and I can see a lot of people picking it as like a, a time and a place in which to very pointedly set their story. Possibly, um, some of them. You think the well, dust think has settled? Were, well, you know what I mean. Now the yeah. actual the vote itself okay. is out of the way. I think that. Um, and there'll be a lot of some quite heavy handed. I imagine there will be quite a few tales of divorce. Yeah. Uh, set around it, I imagine there will be a few, um, yeah, a few, uh, quite a few domestic dramas um, that that mirror it in none too subtle ways. Yeah. But I do think it is a very fruitful. Uh, if it's done well, it could be good. Well, it, it could, could be, be done well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there will be a lot of bad, but uh, hopefully also some some very good work that comes out of it. Yeah. Um, so I basically just reeled off a whole load of books that I think you should read. But um, there, what well, I thought it was a really good year for Scottish writing. In particular, um, particular Scottish fiction, I think, and a really nice mix of uh, new writers and uh, well Kent. Um, but I think we will move on now to music uh, before we're you know here all night. Yeah. Um, and let's start with some live stuff, Chris. What what was your kind of live events of the oh, year? Oh God! Well, there are a few. I was quite lucky this year. It was that way where. Um you know, because of uh, work and stuff like that, I didn't necessarily get along with it that much. I think maybe fewer than 20 gigs throughout the year, but uh, the, a lot of the ones that I got to were, were really good, you know, they really made them count. Um, I saw Prince this year, yeah. which was, um, 
incredible. So nobody can top that. Nobody well, top unless that. you were there, of course. Exactly. Yeah. It's um, yeah. No, it was. The <coughs> whole, shaking your head like it seemed like a dream. It did almost. I mean, I went with my dad. Like we got my dad. Me and my brothers split the cost of a ticket for my dad for his birthday this year because. Uh, well, Prince announced it with, I believe, about a three weeks notice that he was yeah, on Hydro. Yeah, yeah, he announced yeah. it on my birthday, which was a nice, nice <laughs> present this year. Um, yeah, okay. And my dad's birthday is three weeks after mine, so he played the Hydro the day after my dad's birthday. So, um, yeah, my brothers and I pitched in, got him a ticket. I uh, got me a ticket as well, obviously. And um, we, yeah, we, uh, I took my dad to see Prince, and it was just the, the, the bit that makes me think I might have dreamt it was that I saw my dad dance to Prince, which is just something I never ever thought he would see. Um, that is the power of Prince. That is the power of Prince. He's a funky, funky man. Yeah, but, his um, name is Prince, and he is funky. Yeah. But uh, no, it was it was everything you'd expect from a print show. He looks amazing just now. He's got this wee afro thing going on. He was wearing kind of like an all-in-one caftan thing. He was. Uh, He's a kind of alien character. Going yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, he played like two thirds of the songs off of Purple Rain. He played like pretty much everything you'd expect. He played medleys. He at one point was like, "I got so many hits, we could be here all night." <laughs> You know, just um, his band are really shit. Probably wasn't joking. Yeah, yeah. His band are really shit hot that he has just now, like Third Eye Girl, like a power trio. You know, they're so quite guitar heavy again. He basically picks the best female musicians he could find. Yeah, you are now my band. Exactly. Yeah, and nobody's going to turn him down, are they? Um, But it was the first time he played Scotland in a long time, like maybe since the nineties, I think. And uh, yeah, (coughs) it was just incredible scene. He played for about two and a half hours, and it was yeah, it's Prince live. I don't really. It's just such a surreal experience being in the room with him. You know, just just looking at him. Like even if it's It's a hell of a room. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, (laughs) even if it is the hydro, and you're like still maybe about fifty feet away from him, just knowing that that's Prince. You know, that's the guy who bestrode the eighties. He did. uh, And the one who survived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kept going and uh, is still fairly artistically vital and, and important and uh, yeah, someone who matters. It's, I, yeah, it's, I met people that went there who, uh, you know, they, it was like a religious experience. Yeah, it was, yeah. They were just could not get over it and, and days later were still yeah. kind of, you know, yeah. couldn't get over it and uh, I, uh, I'm kicking myself, I never got yeah. a ticket. Well, one know. that we did go together that I want to mention that was in that same week was uh, Aidan Moffat's one-off thing as part of the, the Commonwealth Cultural Programme Where You're Meant to Be. Oh, yes, that's right. At the Barras, that's which right. was the Saturday before Prince. Uh, it was kind of his take on a traditional Cayley, which meant just that an evening of songs and stories and yeah. not, you know, necessarily a dance. Um, it was it was it was great. It was great. Like, the atmosphere was incredible. We're it handing was, out free whiskey still. We were. <laughs> I, believe, I believe you. You had mine as well. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm a bro. Yeah. Um, but no, the atmosphere was great. Just from the moment you went in, you know, there were there was like a table set up. Well, there were a few tables set up around the dance floor of the bars, and uh, one of them had like a group of fiddlers just fiddling did? away, yeah. and then um, he brought out or a variety of kind of traditional acts who came out here like he had basically toured Scotland and yeah. had been filmed touring Scotland and had along the way you know a bit like a kind of pipe piper yeah, various yeah. singers and musicians that he went yeah you'll so do he, he had like a, a he brought them all back to the yeah. bars he had a teenage girl who sang a couple of traditional ballads uh, unaccompanied yeah. uh, who they'd found at a festival up in the Highlands he had a couple of Kind of, uh, I would say, Francie and Josie types from 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 yes, from, so, yeah. from Angus, who were the kind of music hall back and forth again, singing traditional songs, but really, all right, Jock, here we go, uh, kind of, you know, like really yeah. kind of um, <laughs> with like tongue in cheek, every you know, a turn, what you would say, a turn, absolutely a turn. Um, but probably a big hit at New Year's oh, in, man, in yeah. Kerry Muir or wherever it was yeah. they were from, uh, and. 
uh, they, uh, Stewart, the Bossy Ballad there, yeah. um, who's, who's very famous in, in traditional circles, I believe I saw her at uh, a uh, Celtic Connections concert I was taken to by Miss Goodwill's music department uh, at some point in the in the early 2000s. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, so they, they all That's came on night. and then, yeah, then Moffat himself came out just wearing shorts. <laughs> you know, nothing, no, no standing on stage. He's kind of done uh, uh, versions of traditional songs and made some properly filthy. Yeah, well, what he did was it, it wasn't necessarily like he was covering the old songs. He'd written his own songs in the style of traditional songs yeah, for a lot of them. Although he did also update, he updated one, I think it was, was it a Masonic song? It was one of these kind of body, like a gentleman's club song yeah. that maybe like Burns would have been a part of. Um, and he changed the chorus to, it was a song about an orgy, which he made clear at the start, which is, you know, probably made in Moffat territory. And uh, the chorus, uh, I don't know if it was originally written like this, but certainly in his rendition of the chorus was, who's in you this time, who's up you new. That's right. Yeah. Um, and the verses were all various filthy puns on occupations of whoever may have been. And the crowd sang along. Oh, they did. The... They did. Like the baker put a bun in the oven, that kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the butcher had a few pounds of meat. Oh, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Seems um, like proper musical. It was proper musical, uh, but really serious stuff as well. There was stuff about gay marriage. There was stuff about. There's a really great song called Jock McGraw, which is about post traumatic stress and like a soldier being sent off. Has uh, one of the lines of the year. Of, oh, it's about a guy who always aspires to be a soldier and um, was like a young man. It's time to tan the Taliban. It's, yeah, it's one of the lines in it, which uh, which uh, yeah, it's, it's really good. It's really well done. But yeah, no, it was a great night. The atmosphere was great. It had like. Uh, an essay on stage you had like a, a line rampant climate. basically uh, he turned the barras into a kind of social club yeah which is you know, great I'm surprised you don't have to stand up and salute the queen yeah, at the end of the night yeah, well given the, the tone of the night I don't think <laughs> no I know but uh, yeah, <laughs> from my youth well, yeah. that often and, happened um, in this place and yeah a great band around him he had James Graham from Twilight Sad yeah. he had Jenny Reeve from Strike Colours and Body That's Parts right. you know, he's oh. Stevie, uh, Stevie Jones uh, yeah no, it was a good band around him as well so it was a really good night um, other live stuff Teenage Fan Club at Kelvin Grove Bandstand mm-hmm. was uh, we, I you didn't get a lot of I didn't but, but I was there with a friend of friend of the podcast Ian mm. McDonald's yes who was along with me at that it was a great night just to see Kelvin Grove Bandstand refurbished like that and um, I think it had been years and years since I maybe you're talking maybe like six or seven years since I'd last seen a proper Teenage Fan Club show I'd seen you know, maybe Norman Blake do a couple of solos yeah. um, them do. I think they played at the Alex Chilton tribute night down at Monorail a, a few years ago That's after right. he died but obviously it was a set of like his songs and you know um, it wasn't a proper full on Fanny's experience but uh, yeah no, so it was great hearing all those songs again live because it had been a while um, but yeah, no, just uh, a few. Uh, the other one uh, I would single out as, as a great live show from this year is also uh, the band responsible for my favourite album of the year, who okay. are uh, Francois and the Atlas Mountains. Yeah, who, yeah, yeah. Um, have a few, a couple of Scottish connections. They kind of came to attention after they were uh, signed to Fence Collective, uh, and uh, one of their members. Now they're obviously like as you might guess from from the name, uh, largely French. But one of their members now is Jared Black. He used to be in Findo Gask, mm-hmm. kicking about Glasgow for a few years there. Uh, and yeah, no, they they put on like a really low budget version of like a really stunning pop show you know like a lot of it was almost like if if Michel Gondry had, had art directed like a Justin Timberlake show or something like that you know there was, there was there was choreography there was interacting with the stage there was lots of stuff going on lots of really cool visual elements just on a, a very low budget um, I think it's, it's clear that he's, he's spent a lot of time studying stop making sense and learning a bit of stagecraft from it um, it's a really complete 
pop vision you know a really great integration of, of every visual aspect that you can do with a live show all the things you can do to just give your audience a good time and uh, the album uh, Piano Ombre is just a perfect piece of pop it's, it is uh, good album really it is a good album immaculately yeah. crafted and, there's uh, a lot of good pop music this year I a think. lot of good pop yeah my kind of on Prince moment although it's not quite in the same level but it kind of was for me was seeing Roddy Frame recently uh, a, you know who now has turned this into an almost like an annual Christmas show at the, the concert hall which is a wee bit of a shame because it's not perhaps the best venue to see him in in fact it's definitely not the best venue to see him in however if anyone can spark up a Glasgow crowd of a certain age then Roddy Frame can do it and they were a bit weary to begin with not weary but a bit tired <laughs> I think and sitting down in the heat but uh, by the end uh, he, you forget well I don't forget but some people forget how many great songs Roddy Frame has done and um, his guitar playing, you know, we talk about Prince's guitar playing being unexpected, and it is. When you see him, you kind of forget that he's this amazing guitar player, and it's the same with Roddy. Am I saying Roddy Freeman's Scotland's Prince? Probably not, but <laughs> you know, there's similar skills and, uh, and, and skills. similar uh, pop sensibilities, I think, you know, um, a, a huge range of influences, and he seems to master most of them and uh, yeah, it was just a fantastic night um, love Roddy Fame and it was just it's always a pleasure to see him play he also brought an album called Seven Dials which uh, he just doesn't make bad records in my opinion and this was another great one some of it looking he does a track on, uh, on it called Postcards does a bit of looking back but not in a kind of uh, sentimental way in a kind of quite interesting uh, way um, I also saw Aidan Moffat play a gig with Aaron Hubbard uh, as part of I Write which was a good two-hander uh, to see. Um, and going back to a um, the Empire Cafe, Stanley Odd played a short set on the in the last night. And again, it's a kind of theme about people winning round audiences because the folk were there to hear discussion on Scotland's place in empire and all of that fun and historical. And then a lot of them had wandered off to the bar to be perfectly honest and then Stanley Odd started up playing and really kind of got everyone back into their seats and uh, I'd like to see him in a different situation and I haven't heard his new stuff yet apart from the stuff that he released kind of during the referendum but um, what are your feelings on Mr Odd? Uh, I, 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 uh, I, like, I, I really I, I kind of like what they're going for but I, it's, I don't know I think the problem with a lot of Scottish hip hop is that it kind of it sacrifices kind of the musicality of hip hop, I think, for uh, just for trying to cram in as many words as they can. I think there are people who do it better than others. Like I think Hector Berserk are actually really good. Mm-hmm. Um, who I saw open for Dilla Soul this year. Um, they were like they really won me over because I hadn't really I'd heard of them, but I hadn't really heard much by them. And on record, they almost veer a bit too much towards reggae at times. Uh, for or like in terms of their production, no, like I I'm fine with reggae. It's just yeah. like I didn't really think it fit what they were doing that well. But live, there's a real force to them, a real energy to them. Like they play with a live band. There um, seems to be a commerciality. I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way at all about Stan Lord that makes him. He seems to be the one that's kind of garnering the yeah, praise. I think like I think with Stanley Lord, the thing is that they're. Um, like I think that they're kind of like almost for people who don't like hip hop you know that kind of thing it's like it's almost like no but I, I don't mean that in a kind of their bad kind of way I no 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 like no. I think you're talking about the, the people who listen rather than them yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I'm that. saying like it's, it's almost for people who are like okay I, these are all the problems I have with hip hop and Stanley Lauder are like fine we're not going to do any of that you know but I I don't know it becomes a little bit like uh, it's, it's it's the kind of thing to me Stanley Lauder is the kind of thing that like if 
if they were American, I don't think anyone would pay them any attention, you know, that kind of way. Possibly. Because, because I think they just kind of get Possibly, lost. but they, they don't get paid any attention outside of, of you know, and, and, well, and yeah. that's, what, that's what all, but you know, there are yeah, all yeah, those yeah. bands who matter, you know. Yeah, local. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, again, like, I, I like what they're, I kind of, I, I like them in theory, it's just in practice, I don't really connect with it as, as much. Um, I think it, it yeah, it's, it's that way it, it comes across as quite worthy, I think. Like, there's not, uh, there's not a lot of, um, fun, I thought. I think to a lot of Stanley's okay. stuff, which is a shame. I, I wish I liked them more than I did. Okay, yeah. uh, well, I, I, I'm genuinely interested by that, you know. Yeah. Because, um, and I do kind of understand what you mean. I often think that they're the kind of band that would be on the American Music Pride list because they have to have a hip hop act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, well, they did this year, and uh, no, that they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we'll come to talk <laughs> yeah, about them yeah. in, a, in, a, in a moment. I think um, <laughs> other great live gigs was Lorraine McCauley and the Borderlands. I just love more and more every time I kind of get to see them or listen to them. Um, the Olive Grove Showcase at Celtic Connections right at the beginning of the year was fantastic and the, you know every, every band that came on was just like yep love them love them and um, yeah that's my kind of uh, musical live stuff um, before we go into albums where are we in time Ian <laughs> how long uh, have we been doing this one hour for? and wait for it just about there 16 minutes. 16 minutes. I think we're we're just going to have another quick break and we'll be back with you to talk about the recorded music of the year. Hello everyone, we're back for part three, which is unheard of. Once more. <laughs> and this, this was supposed to be a brief chat, and you know, it's good that there's been lots of stuff this year, as we can tell. Or you know, or we just can't shut up. Um, so we're going to talk um, recorded music of the best stuff of the year. Um, Chris, what was your kind of favourite stuff that you heard all year? Uh, well, as I, as I mentioned already, I think my favourite album was uh, Francois and the Atlas Mountains. Uh, but like last year, I think my, my two, well, I kind of had two favourite albums this year. Like last year, not almost exactly like last year, one of them was French pop and the other one was someone who started off as, as hip-hop and kind of quickly found that uh, they couldn't be constrained by genre because they were too forward-looking. Last year it was Kanye West, Jesus, and this year it's uh, You're Dead by Flying Lotus, who right. yeah, yeah. I've talked about on here before, I think, uh, Until the Quiet Comes by him was my favourite album uh, 2012, I think, I talked about it on here. Uh, he's in the lineage of the Coltrane's, he's a, a great nephew of Alice Coltrane. Uh, Robbie so, Coltrane. Uh, not Robbie Coltrane. <laughs> unfortunately, no. He was he was rejected for for a role in Tutti Fruity, unfortunately, <laughs> because he was only six. But uh, yeah, no. The uh, the album You're Dead is is a concept album about the moment of death, about the transition to the oh. other side, and it's uh, it's uh, a, a big step forward from a couple of ways. It's um, as I say, started off kind of making instrumental hip hop, kind of you know, kind of Jay Dilla-ish, I suppose, or, or Mad Lib, that kind of, you know, something that's compelling enough to listen to without vocals over the top of it. A lot of time, because his beats are too tricky to, for anybody to keep up with. Um, I we were talking about um, Goldie earlier on. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, but as he's gone on through his career, he's been letting in more of the jazz influence that, that is, a, you know, a part of his family. Uh, I'd say this is, this is his most... Like full on excursion into jazz, I think they did. Oh, there's a lot, a lot of jazz stuff. Like Herbie Hancock is on it. Oh, uh, on one fantastic. track. Yeah, there's a lot of it. There are a couple of tracks that sound like kind of in a silent way, bitches brewier and Miles Davis. There's a couple that kind of veer towards hard bop. Uh, so there's that. There's the kind of the open embrace of jazz in a lot of places. But this is also the first 
of his albums that he's actually had uh, people rapping over his beats. Like he put out a mixtape after his last album as his his hip hop alias Captain Murphy, which is still him doing all the beats, but he raps over it himself. Okay. And he had a couple of guests on that. Uh, but this is the first actually proper Flying Lotus album that he's had guests on, so he has a great track with Kendrick Lamar, who is uh, one of the most like, exciting young MCs in America just now. He, uh, he has Snoop on a track. Oh. Um, but yeah, usual kind of wide range of collaborators. Uh, Angel Derridurian, who's hey. in the Dirty Projectors, uh-huh. is, is on it as well. As I say, Harvey Hancock. Uh, Thundercat, who's his uh, standby bassist, who is incredible. He's a virtuoso. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's really... See, when I hear the word virtuoso bassist, I know. I don't I know. think Jacob Pistorius. It's not, not quite Jacob Pistorius, okay. but um, yeah, no, it's, it's a really, really thrilling listen. Yeah, a lot going on, a lot to take in. It takes a few listens to fully absorb it, but it's, it's really wonderful. Herbie Hancock was on a Simple Minds album, do you know that? Was he? He was on New Gold Dream. Oh, so there you go. There you go. Prop, yeah. fat, fan. Yeah, yeah. And, and when we talked about Goldie, it was the garage man, not the gold, Blue Peter doll. Um, Craig Armstrong had a new album out, and I love Craig Armstrong stuff. Um, mostly known maybe for soundtrack work I think that's maybe fair with yeah. the Baz, Baz Luhrmann and, and various other things he, when he makes albums they're not really coherent holes they're not you know but they're just fantastic track after fantastic track and they can move um, but he, there, is, there are things which uh, kind of bring it together often the people he uses uh, as collaborators and on his latest album It's Nearly Tomorrow um, he's got James Grant um, of Love and Money fame um, Brett Anderson of Swede and the best thing I think he's done for a long long time Paul Buchanan's on a couple of tracks from the Blue Nile um, Jenny Burns um, well known well should be well known Scottish singer um, and what reunites them all are the really strong voices over this often quite sparse music um, he, he knows that often it's about not just the notes, it's the space between to, you know, quote the, the name of one of his albums, the space between. I've just got that. <laughs> but that's what he does. It's the, it's the space between the notes that really, you know, is where uh, he understands. Was the Simpsons like about that? You have to listen to the notes she's not playing. I can do that at home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's what you need to do with Craig Armstrong. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I, is it my album of the year? It's... It, I've listened to a lot, but it's very today. It probably is. I'll maybe have a different uh, uh, answer tomorrow. I really enjoyed the Vaseline's album. Views I enjoyed the Vaseline's album, but I not put, it's not in my top ten or anything. But I think it was a a very strong uh, kind of comeback from it. It felt like another comeback from it. I almost felt like the one description I read of it was that um, I mean, like Sex with Next, their 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 proper comeback album, yeah. which is their second album in. How many years was that? In tw- was it was that twenty one years after their first album came out? Dum Dum came out in eighty nine, and I think Sex with Next came out in two thousand ten, and it was it was okay, but there were it was not without his embarrassing moments. Um, but this one felt it's felt like getting a bit in the spirit. There of the Vaseline groove of yeah, early Vaseline's, and I think the, the one as I say, one description I read of it was that it felt like this was. It felt like it could have come out in like say ninety four ish if like they'd been signed to a major label after Dum Dum came out and it yeah. stayed together and had been given the budget to have like you know higher production values and you know radio friendly hooks and stuff like that um, and yeah no I think there's there's really good stuff on it it does feel much more in the spirit of, of early Vaseline's than than Sex with Next did necessarily um, another album which I thought was fantastic which is one that kind of even recommended was the amazing uh, Snakehead's Amphetamine Ballads. Um, which is kind of what they were. I mean, this is you've played with these guys, haven't yeah. you? Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a while ago, but these guys were intense. Like, it was, yeah. But it was proper. It was like watching. They mean it, man. Yeah, they do. And it, and it was like a fully formed, like, I don't know, experience. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it didn't. It didn't come off as an act either. You know, it, it was proper. I suppose is the only way I could put it. Yeah, real yeah. tension to the music and like a, a sort of real uh, anger and viciousness yeah we were talking about Jack O'Connell and, and Starred Up there's a sense that actually things could go very wrong Coiled Spring yeah, yeah. absolutely and, <laughs> and uh, you know any minute this, this could go from uh, being uh, a gig to being something um, completely different altogether yeah but absolutely fantastic and like, I really I, feel like a real serious genuine like rock and roll band you know what I mean and I think they they, uh, they got that on, on the record as well which is very difficult to do it's one thing doing it live mm. but I think to get it down on recorded is, is is very difficult um, I really enjoyed Honeyblood's album Honeyblood I thought it was a kind of nod to Tallulah Gosh early Primal Scream even the Vaseline you know that kind of thing wasn't perfect it was a little bit rough around the edges it probably could have been a bit rough around the edges but um, were you um, I, 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 work I, I, I never heard the album but I have, I've seen them live a couple of times I, th- uh-huh. I think I saw them open for the Twilight Sad around about this time last year but yeah no it's definitely a sound that, that uh, appeals to me you know that kind of uh, late 80s early 90s fuzz rock kind of thing it's definitely in my wheelhouse I think so yeah no, I'd, I'd be interested in checking well it. let's talk about Young Fathers because they did they right, won yeah, the yeah, yeah. Mercury two, in fact they won the Mercury and the Scottish album of the year they, they did two different albums yeah which uh, some and, and personally I think well deserved I think so I think it was a real moment like a real uh, I don't know if it was just something about the referendum there or something like this, a kind of general excitement about Scotland, but the, uh, I, I think it was, it was a really good statement on both of their parts. I think, when you came, well, this was the third year of the Scottish Album of the Year Award had yeah. run. The first two albums, each of them involved Aidan Moffat in some capacity, because mm-hmm. the first went to, uh, well, Aidan Moffat and Bill Wells, yeah. Britain's Getting Older, the it's second... Cracking, yeah, yeah, oh no, don't get me wrong, they're both great records. The second went to R.M. Hubbard, mm-hmm. Uh, which had a track featuring Aidan Moffat on it so to break with that so completely and be like no this can also be Scottish music yeah. you know a group that's one guy from Edinburgh and two immigrants from various yeah. parts of Africa um, and say no this is also Scottish music I thought was a really great statement to make in, in, in this year particularly yeah. to be like no we can be outward looking yeah. and we can be international and, and outside of all that it was a storm and both yeah. albums are yeah, amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I saw them play a live thing at one of Naya yeah, gigs yeah, yeah. and uh, you know the reminded me of Asian Dub Foundation um, Chicky I mean there was that there is that kind of dark for want of a better term, yeah. trip hop feel. I hear quite do. a lot of TV on the radio. In the yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Um, in places, but yeah, no. Just the fact that we can take influences from all over the place, but still be rooted in Scotland, and still take, you know, their lyrics and their sound and kind of what they're going for from from just the bits and pieces of their daily life and everything around them. I think it was a watershed moment for Scottish music and for you know for for a hip hop act to to have one. You know, and I have to say, uh, when we were talking, uh, I was going. To, this is sounds really name dropping, but we did do a podcast with Vic Gallery, mm-hmm. and when we were talking to him about Young Fathers, he said you've got to check out Law, who does collaborations with them, and her stuff is fantastic as well. I can highly recommend it. Um, we all talking about podcasts. We did one with Alistair Roberts um, up in Brewer, and um, he. Uh, as part of the Furrow Collective who had a fantastic kind of proper old kind of traditional folk album um, at our next meeting um, but uh, 
if you like your folk, then it's something you should really check out. And uh, he just can't stop collaborating. It seems to me, you know, he just keeps doing album after album with with anyone. Not quite anyone that'll ask him. He's a bit more discerning than that. But always uh, with friends. Always, almost always with friends, which is nice. And always good company as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He keeps good company, which speaks very well of him. I have to say. Um, I just remembered another album which is up there with uh, one of my albums of the year which is The Pearl Fishers Return with uh, Open Up Your Colouring Book and that's Derry Scott basically now I think with The Pearl Fishers um, East School Bride filler a just kind of beautiful lyrical um, pop music really um, so some people will find it bordering on the twee I think um, it just you know it fits my my mood uh, many uh, a lot of the time. Um, yeah, what else have you been listening what to? What else have I been listening to? Um, well, what, one of the more unexpected things I think that happened for me musically this year was uh, I've long been a fan of the uh, work of Mark Kozilek yes, through Red, Red His Painters and Sun Kill Moon. I love and, Suddenly he got massive this year. He released his album Benji in, in February and it got kind of unprecedented critical attention. He broke through with a much wider audience. Than, oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah, yeah, Benji's been huge. Like That's Benji, why I've got my head in Scottish stuff. I've, yeah, got, I've yeah, got the yeah. album and it's a cracking yeah. record. But it's great, um, but it's an album of songs entirely about people he knows who have died or like had horrible things happen. Yeah, there are two separate relatives. Like It's entirely nakedly autobiographical. There are two songs about relatives who have died in the same kind of freak accent separately where they've been thrown... Where they They've accidentally thrown aerosol. They've been burning rubbish, and they've thrown aerosols onto the fire, and you know, been killed by the exploding cans. Have the two of his relatives. There are songs about each of them on this. Uh, there's, you know, it's complaining. Really, he's repeating himself. Yeah, no, no, not at all. Uh, it's a really bleak album. So it's weird that he broke through. What was not unexpected was that he reacted to uh, the spotlight by being a complete prick because that's uh, pretty much the, the cause of like MO uh, is that Were you the gig where he wore the skin mask? I wasn't at that no. I have heard tell of the gig where he, re- uh, he and refused played on, yeah, to take it off he played on Halloween and wore the, the ghost face mask from Scream for the entirety uh, refused to take it off for the entirety of the gig I have seen him live before uh, he doesn't strike me as the most personable man um, <laughs> on the planet and, um, so he's very good he's one of these guys where you kind of have to separate the the music from the man because he doesn't seem like a particularly pleasant person but uh, yeah if you if you haven't been keeping up with the, the various uh, offstage dramas of, of Mark Hosley this year just google Sun Kill Moon War on Drugs and, and uh, take a trip maybe maybe listen to the, the diss song he wrote uh, aimed at the War on Drugs uh, with the, the lovely title of War on Drugs Suck My Cock <laughs> uh, which came out this year oh the, um, the lovely War on Drugs yeah the lovely War on Drugs um, other than that I think it's been a one of the really interesting things for me this year about um, like being a hip hop fan is that this is generally been marked as like the 40th anniversary of hip hop like Africa Bamba I was touring this year I saw him at the ABC a few weeks ago DJing and the, the tour was the, the 40 years of hip hop culture tour mm-hmm. or something so hip hop's approaching middle age you know hip hop's now been around for, for a lot like as long as rock you know almost you know, as of our well, rock said, as long as, as punk rock, rock yeah, yeah as long as punk rock yeah so um like one of the things at Africa Band Battle Line is a lot of bald spots, a lot of grey in hairs, a lot of punches, you know, a lot of. Got a Roddy Framegig. Roddy Framegig, yeah, but it was, it was like, it was almost like the kind of crowd you expect to see it, like a kind of heritage rock act, yeah. like a Fleetwood Mac or yeah, something. Yeah. You know, there were guys there who were probably hitting their 60s who maybe had been into hip hop since yeah. 40 years ago. And, um,. I think it's like, I used to go to Joe Strummer gigs and that was yeah. exactly the same thing. Well, it's the same yeah, same kind of thing, I think. But now it's beginning to be reflected in the music as well. And a couple of my favourite hip-hop records there are made by guys who are 
either hitting middle age or are properly middle aged already. Uh, Run the Jews, who uh, are the duo of LP and Killer Mike, yep. both done really good solo work for years and years and years, but have really broken through another level of success with this collaboration that they started in two thousand twelve. Uh, LP produced uh, an entire album for Killer Mike and Killer Mike guested on LP's album from that year last year they, they released their first collaborative album as Run the Jewels it was a free download it was almost more like a mixtape than an album this year they released Run the Jewels 2 and the first one just feels like a warm up for this it's, stu- it's stunning staggering really like incredible beats all the way through it's political it's funny it's angry it's uh, yeah it's a lot of fun um, but that that was yeah that was one of my favourite hip hop albums of the year I also really enjoyed uh, Mad Lib's album this year Mad Lib kind of you know it's not too strong to call him a, a genius I think he's a really kind of like hip hop savant just makes mostly instrumental albums but He's so prolific that it can be kind of overwhelming a lot of the time to keep a up. A bit with like him. Prince uh, was in his heyday. Yeah, perhaps. yeah, yeah. And um, when he when he works with a single act or a single MC, it really gives him a focus. I think like he did it a couple of times a few years ago. He put out albums with um, uh, with Guilty Simpson and Strong Arm Steady. But this year he, he worked with Freddie Gibbs and they put out an album called Pinata, which is uh, tremendous. Just that it's like it's I think it's the strongest thing Madlib's done in a while and. Uh, Mad Lib's in his 40s now, which is, you know, hence the, the middle age thing, and Gibbs is a kind of veteran as well, he's, he's only in his early 30s, but he sounds much older, he sounds like he's been through a lot, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed that. Um, other than that, I really liked uh, Nina Cherry's album from this year, Nina Cherry, yeah, no, I agree, I thought it was great, I'm a big project. fan of Nina Cherry. Yeah, yeah, um, was really into that, uh, another really strong album, The Twilight Sad this year, um, St. Vincent's self-titled album I thought yep. it was tremendous that was, uh, I think she just keeps evolving and doing really interesting stuff again like Francois and the Atlas Mountains I think her, her touring with, with David Byrne has really rubbed off on her you're seeing a lot of the, the way she's developing her stagecraft and the way she's integrating kind of her aesthetics into her music I think she's well. one of the more interesting artists in India, yeah right? absolutely um, in case you think I listened to nothing but Scottish <laughs> music I, I, I really enjoyed the new Brian Ferry album I haven't heard that. No, yet. even more. It's a real. If you like kind of Avalonish, uh, Roxy Music Ferry, then it's right in there. I have to say, I do, I'm a massive fan of Brian Ferry, and I know that there's all sorts of things that come with that politically and everything. <laughs> but you know what? Fuck it. I just think Ferry is brilliant. Beck's Mom and Phase, I, I thought was great, and uh, it was like a follow up to Oh crap. The album it came out in the early 2000s, like the Ocean Sea oh, Change. Sea Change, yeah. It was a follow up to that and similar vibe to it, and I love Sea Change, and this is uh, a great. And also Jen, Jenny Lewis's album, The Voyager. Voyager. Big uh, fan of Jenny Lewis, and we spoke uh, to Lloyd Meredith about how we both kind of like Jenny Lewis, but we'd probably better not speak about that anymore. Yeah. Um, just a few people to say that it caught my attention during the way year um, Night Noise Team. Um, from Edinburgh, who seemed to me like if Air had come from Edinburgh, that's what, that's the kind of sound. There's disco, there's electronica, there's kind of unusual sounds going on there, and um, great song called "Open Your Eyes" by United Fruit, which came to my attention just recently. Um, Joe Mango's um, album "Transformation," which we spoke about, which was remixes of. Murmuration and uh, is again really worth checking out. Mm-hmm. It really works as one whole thing, it's not just a collection of tracks. Um, singer songwriter called Owen Macaulay, whose album The Line I'm going to be writing out quite soon. A band called Natalie Price, who I think I described as the house band from a David Lynch movie. That's kind of how they feel. They are dark, dark, 
I'm very well dressed and I like that in my bands, I have to say. <laughs> Emily Scott and the Fell Down Trio's uh, Stray Lights and the Hazy Jane's uh, Language of Faint Theory, which I got wrong when I reviewed it and I hope I've got it right that time. But I think as time really is cracking on, we'll just round up by talking about kind of some of the events of the year because it was a monumental year. Oh, Ian, before we do start, your stuff of the year, musically. Uh, I think the, on, uh, the only shout I'll throw in there is for uh, Sean Now and his album came out on, I think, 9th September on Anti Records. I've been a fan of the guy uh, for a while. Um, went to see him at the Captain's Rest a couple of years ago and it was still a Captain's Rest and unfortunately he's not come to play in the UK since uh, which I'm quite upset about so he's not on my sort of live music check yeah. but it's a great album um, there's there's kind of band stuff on the album and there's, there's stuff where it's, it's just him and a guitar and you can tell in, in the recording that there's uh, like j- just the, the feel of it is all very raw and I, I'm quite a fan of that and mm-hmm. his, he's got this big deep voice um, that I think is really quite uh, captivating and yeah another great that album from him and the, he's uh, yeah yeah lyrics lyrics voice and the uh, production values the whole package the whole lot yeah oh, that sounds good what was the name again? Sean Rowe yeah there's moments of Leonard Cohen and then there's like some really bluesy stuff and then there's like some kind of straight up Americana folk type stuff and yeah really good listen Okay, well, um, we will move on to kind of events of the year. And there was one thing that kind of obviously divided everyone, and uh, you know, went on for a while. Uh, and obviously, that was still We've already games. tread on each other's Yeah. So let's talk about the referendum. I mean, it was. Uh, yeah. I mean, this kind of seems like a dream now, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's not really much we can say because we're you know look away now if you want to know the result it yeah, kind of happened exactly, yeah. but how do you feel Scotland's reacted I suppose after the kind of no vote because I think what's, it's very interesting that we seem to be set in this city you wouldn't know that it was a no vote would you really yeah. that's the feeling I mean apart from the obvious yeah. uh, and I think that's very interesting and there seems yeah. to be and I might be projecting this but there seems to be a kind of forward drive of Change the winds of change. I believe the yeah. scorpions. Uh, well, well, it's going from uh, this is a once in a lifetime event. We might have another one by the end of the decade. You know, it just feels like it's um, until we get the the result. Yeah, yeah, it feels like kind of like a fuse has been lit. You know, yeah. and it's just uh, there's yeah, like something, something like something like like the genie's been let out of the ball. You know, I guess I mean there's not much to say about way. it really, yeah. and we will move on to still game in a second, but. Um, what really delighted me was the amount of people that voted and the age group of you know it was white and there was uh, yeah it, it, that that was really pleasing because I had gone through my voting life if you like thinking that you know nobody will ever vote more than you know 50% of any population that's it that's the very most you can hope for and to get it up to the 70s and you know, almost the 80s is just incredible victory for political engagement it's invicti- yeah. it shows you that political engagement yeah. is not dead well, I just hope it stays like I hope, I hope a lot of people who got politically engaged over it continue to be because it's it's it's, it's easier to do when it's such a big and emotive thing. Yeah. It's harder to do when it's just local council elections. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, that's true. And there will be a dip, but 
Yeah. You know, there's certainly a strength of feeling, I think, which will play. Yeah. What was the turnout in Glasgow itself? It was like 70, 75%, was 75, it? Or 75. And I was watching as it came in, and I was like, what the fuck, Glasgow? How come there's only 75% of yeah. you going? <laughs> which is ridiculous. But I mean, you know, because yeah. some people can't get out of the house. But yeah, <laughs> but the fact that, like, you know, the turnout was projected to be so high, and it was, it was like 85% across the whole country, yeah. and you're like, oh, you know. So it feels ridiculous to be disappointed that only seventy five percent of people in Glasgow turned out to vote for it. But yeah, um, yeah, no, that was a. Uh, you weird... think it's the biggest city? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but I know, I, I, yeah, I, I just thought it was an amazing. No matter what happens in the future, no, and you know, we can talk about what happened on the, you know, the time. I think Ronnie mentioned it a couple of hours ago at the beginning <laughs> of this thing. It did seem like a dream. It seemed like yeah. an odd thing, but you know, and one that I don't think we've quite woken up from yeah. yet. It was a really the, the days itself, the day of the vote itself, and the day after were two exceptionally strange days, um, just for a variety of reasons, and uh, one of which actually I, I get off air. I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, okay. I have I have a story, but I, I'm. Oh, that's a podcast gold. But what I'll say is, I drove. I've been up north, and I drove back into Glasgow in the night of. of the night after the the night before, if you know what I mean, and you know things were kicking off in George Square, and it was just the weirdest vibe I've ever felt in yeah. this city. Um, but it seems that people haven't gone rock all that set, and you know it'll never happen again, as you say. It seems that there'll be there's two people are too riled up by this to kind of let it go. Yeah, and you know we'll see. So um, we also want to talk about the Empire Cafe briefly, which we went to, which. Well, it was part of the Commonwealth Games. We've already established that none of us really took part in the Commonwealth Games much. I have to say, living in the city centre, Glasgow did feel, you know, spectacular. I mean, it really was a yeah, great well, buzz. I played a gig, actually, at the Merchant City Festival um, on the Blackfriars stage, and it was fucking awesome mm. because it was just looking out to a sea of people around the Merchant City and obviously nobody was really interested in what we were doing but that was fine like just seeing all the buzz and all the people and, and big stages and that in the yeah. city centre it was it was something that uh, I think was staying with me for a long time yeah. and the Empire Cafe was kind of connected to it but it was basically looking at it was Louise Welsh and Jude Barber. Barber, yes, yep. thank you. Um, I who had organised basically had organised this thing that was looking at Glasgow's role in Commonwealth and Empire and, and Scotland's role in Commonwealth and Empire. And it ran for a week and it was just fascinating. We were lucky to be there at a few of the nights and just fascinating looking at this thing which hadn't really been, you know, in a city which has Jamaica Street and merchant cities and you know, all these things um, to, to kind of uh, taught me a lot of things I didn't know. Yeah, me as well. And it really stirred up a lot of debate about Glasgow starting to kind of formally acknowledge that history in, in a similar way to what Liverpool's done, really with this sort of slavery museum and start talking about it and, and put things out there. Um, is there anything else about the year that you went to? Um, you went to Still Game, didn't you? I didn't go to Still Game. Did you have a family? I, I got them all tickets. You were a conscientious objector. I'm a conscientious objector. <laughs> it's just, uh, I, I never, I've never actually, like, I've seen, I've never been, like, a total Still Game super fan. Like, I, I, I don't know that I've seen every episode of Still Game. You know, I like what I've seen of it, but it's never been something that I've been totally absolutely committed to so uh, yeah but my, my family are they're all so we, you know they talk about weird phenomena and, and I'm yeah. kind of semi-joking obviously but for a sitcom to run at the biggest you know stadium in, in 12,000 capacity for, for mm-hmm. what 20, 
37 it was 37 performances because yeah, yeah, they added matinees and stuff yeah mm-hmm. so you know and sell out the ball sell the ball out I believe is quite astonishing unheard of and you know this is a, a, a sitcom which outside of Scotland is barely known yeah there's something I don't know what it is I've no idea what it is but there was something about that show I don't know whether it was nostalgia or you know, getting into things that people have been brought up with, but it was it, it was quite incredible. And you know, I ended up going because someone got me a ticket, and uh, you know, it wasn't brilliant by any means, no. but, <laughs> but it almost didn't matter. It was almost this communal, like we all know the gags, and we all know that. Yeah, I've not heard anyone say I was brilliant. Yeah. like most people have who have been to see it that I've spoke to have said, yeah, it's all right, yeah. or it was a bit of a disappointment, yeah. but still and, the. The scale of it. Thing. I mean, you know, it was like the it was bigger than the than Prince turning up, yeah. which is odd. Yeah, I, mean, I have nothing to say about that. I just think it's it's there's something in that. I don't quite know what it is, but it's a strange situation. To also, opened in. the day after the referendum. That's which right. Oh, that's right. Well, that was my initial gag before you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. It's late. It's, an, it's late in the evening. We've been doing this for a long, long time. I think we'll just kind of sum up there and, 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 and finish off. So we have been doing it for a long time, 50 episodes. 50 episodes, <laughs> yeah. Oh God, it feels like it. Chris, thanks again for coming and doing this. And all the previous ones. Oh, thank you. Cheers, Ian. Cheers. Cheers to the 50. And here's to the next lot, yeah. Well, you know, we've got some interesting people lined up in the new year, which we can't tell you about yet. But um, thanks to all the podcast guests and... Uh, I suppose our occasional partners over the first 50, like Empire Cafe, SLS, Cargo Publishing, Product mm-hmm. Magazine, Dear Scotland, you know, we've kind of done stuff with all of these people. Um, and thanks to folk for listening, because, you know, it would just be us sitting around the table, which would be quite sad, really. <laughs> so uh, we'll see you in the new year with um, a whole load of new people, all of whom will be completely different. Cheers. Mm-hmm.